Hope you all are doing well, and uh, if you have your Bible with you, go and make your way to the Old Testament book of Joshua. Uh, it comes right after the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, we're in our series, as you can see behind me, uh, in Joshua, Journey to Promise. And for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be focusing on our part in the promise and what God is leading not only Joshua, but, but us as we move forward into the promise that he has called us into. And as we walk into Joshua, even though Joshua... Uh, is being led by God, and God has delivered the land. He has told the Israelites and Joshua, I am giving this land to you. Even though God is leading them by the hand, even though God has led them to this point, and He's promised His continual presence over His people, even though He has promised the victory over the people already living in the land, what God does to Joshua, and He's going to be speaking to us this morning, is that we still have a part to play in the promise to which God has called us to. And we can relate a lot to the Israelites. There are a lot of similarities. Uh, the Israelites were delivered from a physical bondage of slavery as we have been delivered from a spiritual bondage of slavery when we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And through Him, we have also received gifts. We've received the gift of forgiveness, the gift of salvation, the gift of God taking us into an eternal land in Jesus Christ. And God, like the Israelites, has promised His guidance and His leadership, His presence over our lives and promises to give us the eternal victory. But there is a danger in this. As we're going to see this morning, there's a danger in God doing everything for us that we're going to be wrestling with in our life. And some people take it to the extreme levels. There's a danger in what some people call hyper-Calvinism. It's this belief that since God already knows everything and He knows who is going to be saved and who is not going to be saved, then therefore we as God's people have no part in sharing the gospel and spreading the message of Jesus Christ. It's a form of hyper-Calvinism. It is not biblical, and it is a sinful belief. There are others who have this understanding that God has already done everything, and so therefore I can continue to live how I want to. And so we become spiritual, spiritually stagnant, spiritually asleep. We no longer allow God to transform us and mold us and make us more into his likeness. And we raise the banner, once saved, always saved, and saved by grace, which is true. But it is not true to the point that God wants to leave us in our sin. He saves us from our sins and continues to want to mold us and shape us to remove those sins from our life. The other way we can take it, and you may have encountered this one as well, is some people can believe that they have spiritually arrived. They are righteous and they are holy. And, and a lot of times this happens to individuals who have been in church their entire life. They've, they've gone to church. They've done all the Christian things. And so every time a preacher preaches or a teacher teaches the word of God, they feel that must be directed at someone else. And so we can have that temptation where we hear a message from God and the word of God presented to us. And we immediately say, oh, I wish so-and-so were here to hear this today. Well, the reality is, is we battle with these temptations, and part of that is because God has done everything for us. And these temptations can keep us from living in the, God, in the promise which God wants to give us. We are all in the same battle this morning. And if we can understand how we can overcome this battle in our life, we will arrive to the place where God wants to lead us. We all are in the battle and live in the battle of trust. We are either going to trust God or we're going to trust something else. D.L. Moody says that if you trust in yourself, you are doomed to disappointment. 
If you trust in your friends, well, they eventually will die or leave you. If you trust in money, you can have that taken from you. If you trust in your reputation, someone can come along with a slanderous tongue and blast you. But if you trust in God, you will never be confounded in time or eternity. You and I live in this battle of trust. And this morning, as we're going to look at the passage of Scripture, we're going to be in Joshua chapter 1. We're going to be looking at one verse this morning, it's verse 7. If we can see how God is speaking over Joshua and the Israelites and how He speaks over us to go against this battle so we can place our trust in the right thing, we can see how God wants to lead us to a place where we ultimately want to be. The Bible says in Joshua 1, in verse 7, Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you as your children. We have declared through song that you are a good father. You are the Father as revealed through Scripture. You are the Father who is intimate and personal in our life. And you are the Father right now in this moment that knows every single individual here. There's not a thing in our life that is hidden from you. You're fully aware of everything we bring before you. And I thank you that it is by your grace and your mercy we're allowed to come into your holiness. It is through the blood of Jesus Christ we're able to enter into your throne room of grace. It is by the Spirit indwelling inside of us that we've been sealed for eternity. Lord, I pray in this moment that you just break down any walls, anything that may be stopping up our ears, anything that may be hardening our hearts or blinding our eyes to see your truth. You know the battles we face every single day. You know the battles we're in the midst of right now in this moment. And you know the places where you want us to be, but Lord, we need to trust you. So Father, I pray that your word would just come alive and active in our life this morning. They would go into the deepest parts of who we are, that you would reveal things about us that we don't even know. And Father, the way we worship you now in spirit and truth would be a pleasing aroma to you. So have your way with us. Be our Father, be our Shepherd. Take us to where you need us to be before we leave this place this morning. I ask that your kingdom would come, your will would be done in each and every life, including my own. And Father, you alone would be glorified through the preaching of your word. So open it up as you did with your disciples through your spirit that we may have discernment and understanding to know what you're calling us to do. We pray this all in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Here in verse 7, the word of the Lord says, Only be strong and very courageous. When you see that and you read through chapter 1 of Joshua, you see that phrase over and over again. It's mentioned three different times, but it, it also connects it back to the ending of, Ju of Deuteronomy where God has commissioned Moses to commission Joshua to take the Israelites in the promised land under this statute, be strong and courageous. And what we can take from this immediately is this is the outcome and this is the outlook to which God wants his people to have. He wants us to be a strong and courageous people. And so God gives his people instructions on how they can live this out and how they can see this in their life. And the first thing that we talked about last week in our part is to overcome our fears, to overcome the fear of the task ahead, the fear of people, the fear of the unknown. And so to combat those fears, God instructs his people instead of looking to the fears and focusing on what they could see and perceive here in verse seven, that to be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. The word careful here in verse 7 means to guard or to keep or to observe. 
The Israelites would be the, the holders of the word of God. They would physically have the word spoken to Moses that he delivered to the people. They would, they would keep it with them. They were to guard over it. They would observe it. But it meant more than just physically standing guard over it. It is to protect it in their hearts. The Israelites were to guard the word of God from the attacks that the enemies would bring against them. And though the Israelites were going to step out into God's promise and go into this land and they were going to face physical enemies, the reality is, is the spiritual enemy was a greater threat. And the same enemy that we face today, even though we may feel it is a personal attack on ourselves, even though we may take it, take it personally, we need to understand that the enemy's attacks upon us are not on who we are, but rather who we represent. The enemy is after you. And if you're here this morning and you're a believer, you're a child of God, then Revelation chapter 12 paints the picture very clear that the enemy is out to destroy you. He's out to kill you. He cannot defeat Christ. Christ has defeated him. But since he can have his way with you, he's coming after you. You may think it's a physical attack, but it's really because he's after God and who you represent. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer, Satan is after you as well. Because the Bible says that you are made in the image and likeness of God. That is how God defines you. You are made in his image. You are made in his likeness. He has given you purpose. And so Satan comes to attack that because you are a representative of God whether you believe in him or not. And the way we see this played out in our world today, and you may be battling with this yourself in many different ways, is that we begin to, to question our value and our self-worth. We begin to question the self-worth that God has given us. The Bible says in Genesis that God created man in his image and in his likeness. And so what Satan wants to do is he wants to come at you to begin to belittle your self-worth and cause you to question who you are in Christ and who God has created you to be. We see this within the very first temptation when, when he comes to, to Jesus Christ. The question when he comes to Jesus is if you are the son of God. He's questioning Jesus' identity with God. He's questioning God's relationship to him. He's questioning everything about him. And so Satan's going to come and attack you. He's going to come and attack your relationship with God. He's going to attack your relationship with Christ. Because Satan knows that if he can get you to question your identity in God, the identity God has given you, if he can question your relationship with God, then he can get you to fall victim to all the temptations he wants to bring at you. And so how we see this playing out in our world today is people begin doubting who they are in the image of God. And the way this plays out is we see how marriage is now attacked and how people define marriage. We see how relationships are attacked. We see how the definition of what is life and what isn't life in the battle of the unborn. We see this in students and young adults as they begin to hurt themselves or turn to hurting other people. We see this in a worldly mentality when people begin to say, you know, what's right for you may not be right for me. And so what is right or wrong? Well, anything goes. All of these attacks stem from Satan coming to attack the identity God has given us. He wants you to doubt who God has made you to be. He wants to defeat you and make you feel worthless. 
In Genesis chapter 3, we read of the very first temptation and the very first sin. And when Satan comes into the garden, which God was fully aware of at the moment, he comes to the woman in the garden, and this is Satan's question. Did God actually say? See, the attack against the woman was not a personal attack against her. The attack was a personal attack against the Word of God. Did God actually say? See, Satan is here to undermine the promises of God, which gives us our worth and our value. And so here in Joshua chapter 1, God commands Joshua to guard what he has declared because there is going to be, yes, a physical threat, but there's going to be a spiritual threat in doubting God's promise. And this was going to become the issue as we walk through Joshua. They're not only to guard it, but they were to keep it. They weren't just to have the Word of God. They were to store it up in their hearts. The Bible instructs us in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, that you are to keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Some translation says, above all else, guard your heart. The word vigilance in Proverbs 4, 23 means we are to place our heart under arrest. We are to handcuff our heart. We are to imprison our heart to the Word of God. Our hearts are to be under house arrest to the Word of God. Why? Because in the Bible, the heart represents all that we are spiritually, physically, and intellectually. The heart of the individual is who the individual is. In Scripture, the heart is the center of every individual's moral and spiritual life. And we understand this today as we have phrases about the heart. We say that someone has a good heart. We're not saying that person has a heart that's good for pumping blood through their body, but whether we're saying they are good, compassionate, and beneficial, they have a good heart. We say someone is full of heart. We're not saying that they're fully blood organ pumping thing. We're saying that they are someone who is overwhelmed and overflowing with a particular attribute. When we say someone is heartfelt or something is heartfelt, it's not that it's oozing blood, but rather that it is sincere and it is strongly felt. So we understand this idea of, of a heart being more than an organ in the body. And that's how God's word represents it. We're first commanded to love the Lord our God with our heart. And all of our sin, all of our lack of faith, all of our doubts, all of our fears are ultimately heart issues. And so God is after our hearts, and He wants us to protect our hearts through His Word. God is after a thing in our, in our life that causes us to do what we either need to do or don't want to do, because, don't want to do, because God knows it's from our heart, Proverbs 4.23 says, flow the springs of life. It is from your heart and my heart to which we experience the love, joy, peace, and satisfaction that God wants us to have in this life. But the problem is, is we're all plagued by the sinful nature. And so God says that we need to guard our hearts. We need to guard our hearts with the Word of God. We need to keep the Word of God. We need to observe the Word of God from our hearts. It means that we, we as God's people have to be intentional about storing the Word of God inside of us so it impacts everything that we do. And this is what God is commanding Joshua here in verse 7. He tells him that you are to guard, you are to keep all that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Now, in the context of fear of Joshua 1, it's speaking of what we know as Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse through chapter 31. 
But as time would progress, the Jewish people would come to understand that the law of God was all of the, New, all of the Old Testament. As the new church began, the early church of Christianity, they began looking to the Old Testament as the law of God, the word of God. That's what, what drove them. That's what led them and guided them. And they guarded and they protected and they pointed to Jesus. As the church began to age, the New Testament began to be combined with it. Because Satan is going to attack our hearts, we need to understand that Satan's goal is the exact opposite of what God wants. God says here in verse 7 that he wants his people to find good success wherever you go. And Satan wants the opposite. The word success isn't how we define it today. This word success here in verse 7 of Joshua doesn't mean material things. It does not mean titles. It does not mean prestige or relationships. The word success in Joshua 1, chapter 1, verse 7, is to have a wise understanding of all things through the lens of God's Word. See, God's measure of success is not in what we have, but in how we view things. And so when God says, I want you to have success, it is contingent upon the Israelites keeping to the Word of God. And the same thing goes for us today. For us to have success in this life, to us to live life to the fullest and have the abundant joy which God promises us, it is contingent upon us keeping to the Word of God. And it's not measured by what we have, but how we view things. So Jesus instructs us in Matthew chapter 6, when we go into worries and doubts and anxiety, we are to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Paul, after laying out the salvation message in the book of Romans, comes to the conclusion in Romans chapter 12 that by be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. God's instructions to Joshua and to us is not to focus on the physical, but the spiritual. Because we can't control the physical things around us. You cannot control, as much as you like to think, how people will respond to you, how people will treat you, or what people will say about you. You can't. And God knows that. But what we can control is how we respond to those situations. And that is only by guarding, keeping, observing the word of God personally in our life. So instead of looking to the physical, we're commanded to look to God and look to the revelation of God as spoken through his word. So our part in the promise is we have to have a conviction to the word of God. A conviction to the word of God. Now, conviction is different than a belief. They both have elements of faith because they both have elements of trust. But a belief is something I have in life that can be questioned or brought into doubt. I can believe, and you believe right now, that the chair you're sitting on will continue to hold you until I stop speaking or Jackson says have a good afternoon. You have a belief in that, but how many of y'all have seen chairs fail? Okay, so it can be brought into question, brought into doubt. We all have a belief today that we have started this day and we will end this day. We'll go to sleep and we'll start another day tomorrow. But we're also aware that death is looming. Death is inevitable for every individual in this room. And so we may have a belief, but that belief can be questioned. It can be brought into doubt. We have a belief that we started this day maybe feeling healthy, but there's no promise by the time we lay our heads down tonight that we're still going to feel the same way. We may get sick. You may have shooken the wrong hand this morning. <clears throat> See, we have these beliefs. 
And beliefs are good, but God wants our beliefs to move to convictions. And what is the difference? A belief can be tested. A belief can cause us to doubt. It can cause us to question. But a conviction is something we hold to no matter what. A conviction is something we hold to no matter what. We are dead set on keeping to it. It's what people define as becoming hard-headed. We are to become hard-headed about the Word of God. Not hard-hearted, but hard-headed. See, God didn't want the people of Israel here in chapter 1 just to know His Word. He didn't want the Israelites just to be carriers of His Word. He didn't want the Israelites to only hear or read His Word. God wants His people to have a conviction about His Word. So no matter what happens, no matter the unexpected, no matter how big their fears may become, no matter how small their faith may appear, that they have a conviction upon the promises and authority of the Word of God. And that's what we need in our promise. We have to have this conviction that God's word is the absolute authority over our life in all life. It is the absolute authority. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that all scripture from Genesis to Revelation, all that good stuff we like to read through real fast like in Leviticus, all of it is God breathed. Meaning God spoke it from his mouth. He, he breathed it out. He gave it life just as he spoke creation into being. That's the power of the word of God. That it is breathed out by God. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, correction, for training righteousness. That the man of God, that the woman of God, that the individuals who are God's people, that they may be complete and equipped for every good work. See, God wants you to have this feeling of completeness. Not of lacking. That's what people are wrestling with. We want a a feeling of completeness, of fulfillment. But we look for it in all these other places when God says it is only found in my spoken word. This is the only thing that can complete you. This is the only thing that can fulfill you. This is the only thing that you can rely upon that will not change. Some of y'all may have bought new TVs and new electronics in the last couple weeks because, oh, they were just on sale like crazy. I guarantee you in five, ten years, you're going to be looking for another one because those things cannot give you fulfillment the way the Word of God can because it's spoken from His mouth. Joshua had the Word of God in the form of the law. And he was to have conviction about that, that that was going to be his guide. That was what's going to lead him. That was how he's supposed to lead his life. We today have the incomplete word of God breathed out from his mouth from the heavens. And so as God breathed out the word of God, we're called to breathe it in. Let it fill our lungs. Let it fill our bodies. Let it give us the strength we need. The Bible says in 1 Peter or 2 Peter chapter 1 that we are to know, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture Come from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We have to have a conviction that this is not just another book. This is, this, this is not just other words on a page. This isn't just a book with good principles and good thoughts and good stories and, and confusing stories at times. But this is the word of God which he has given us as the most incredible gift for our completeness. So you and I can be fully equipped for what lies ahead in his promise. So I have to have a conviction about that. 
Yeah, the world may question it. The world may cause us to have to look deeper into it. But I have a conviction about this that no matter what the world says, no matter what laws the world passes, this is my foundation. This is where I stand. And so I don't care how the world defines marriage. I don't care how the world defines love. I don't care how the world defines a relationship. I don't care how the world defines what is life and what is not life. I know how God defines it. And so that's where I stand. Satan's attack is to come and to take away what God wants to give us, and that is the benefit of his word and his will and his promise. And he does it through lies. Anything out of the, outside the word of God is going to leave you feeling wanting and a feeling of being incomplete. So we have to investigate. We have to evaluate everything that God says in his word. And that goes with people who call themselves Christians. Just because someone has a title as a preacher or a Christian author or a Christian actor or a Christian musician or they were a mom or daughter or son of a, a pastor or another Christian doesn't mean that person speaks the word of God. It doesn't mean they're speaking truth. Not every preacher, reverend, or speaker at an event is proclaiming the Word of God. And so we have to know what the Word of God actually says. We believe, here at Harvest Hill, we believe that the Word of God is closed. That, that is what the Bible calls canon, or what we call canon, not the Bible. We call canon. It means that it is closed. Genesis to Revelation, there is no apocrypha in there. If you want to talk about that later, we can. Now's not the time. But we believe that is the complete Word of God. So, because we believe that, when anybody comes forward and says that I have a new word from God, I have a new revelation from God. We can automatically come to the conclusion that that individual is a false prophet. They are not speaking on behalf of God. They are not speaking the complete word of God as found in his scriptures. Anybody who comes and says something word of God, that is the word of God, but it contradicts other parts of the word of God, we can come to the conclusion that that individual is a false prophet. It may sound good. It may feel good. It may make us feel all warm and cuddly inside. But if it's not the word of God, then they're not preaching the word of God. And it's going to leave, lead us feeling incomplete, unsatisfied, a lack of success. And there are a lot of religions out there that claim to be Christian religions, but they, they proclaim other things outside the Word of God or tied to the Word of God or on top of the Word of God. And so we look at that through the Word of God and we say, you know what? That's not truth. That's not truth. And if I follow that, I will be incomplete. And we're all in danger of this. We all are. And this is what Joshua needed to know as God was sending him out. We are all in danger of falling away from the authority of the Word of God on our life. In the 1500s, the Roman Catholic Church was at the apex of authority. I mean, whatever the Catholic Church said, that was deemed to be equal to the Word of God. It was the law of the land. Except when a German monk by the name of Martin Luther began to investigate the Word of God for himself. And he had gone to schools. He had gone to conferences. He had learned from incredible teachers. But he said, you know what? I want to know what God's Word says for itself. 
And being a monk, he had access to the Word of God like no other individual on the planet had. So he began reading the Word of God in the original language of the Hebrew and the Greek. He began to personally investigate the Word of God. And what he began to find is there were discrepancies in how the church was acting, what the church was proclaiming, to what the Word of God was actually saying. So he began writing these pamphlets and these letters. And because of the printing press at the time, it became like our mass forward today or our mass text. They just started going out everywhere. Well, the Roman Catholic Church caught wind of it. And so they called Martin Luther into account. And so in 1521, they had a, a, a council of worms in which they put this under investigation. And they invited Martin Luther to come. And the, the point wasn't so Martin Luther could speak his piece. The point was they wanted Martin Luther to recant or to toss out everything that he had come to understand through the word of God because it attacked what they were trying to accomplish. Now, it may not seem like a big deal for us, but for Martin Luther in that moment, it was either I stand to my convictions upon the word of God or my life is in jeopardy. And so Martin Luther had a decision to make. And as the proceedings ended, they called him in one final time to give his statement. Knowing his life, his work, his convictions were all on the line. He had to decide whether he believed what the Word of God said or he believed what public opinion said, what the powers that be said. And so Martin Luther made this statement. Unless I am convinced by the testimony of Scriptures or by clear reason, for I do not trust either in the Pope or in the councils alone. And we have to understand the Pope and the councils, that was the authority The people believed that was the authority of God. They spoke for God, and whatever they spoke, that was the word of God. Martin Luther said, it is well known that they have often erred. They have contradicted themselves. But I am bound by the scriptures I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not retract anything, since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. May God help me. Amen. Martin Luther in that moment had a conviction to the Word of God, what would become known as sola scriptura, which is Latin for Scripture alone. Martin Luther made a stance which led to a reformation, which is why we worship the way we do and why you actually can have the Word of God in print in your hand. That is the Word of God to which people are to trust in and they are to have it and they are to read it and to be able to understand it because that is what guards them is to lead them and what they're placed their trust in is by Scripture alone. It's not faith in a church. It's not faith in a pastor or a teacher or some well-known speaker. It is the faith in the Word of God and God's Word alone. And this wasn't something that was new. It wasn't something that was like an aha epiphany for Martin Luther. He, He finally discovered the key. If you read through the book of Acts, this is exactly what the church started on. They had a conviction to the word of God, no matter what the world said, no matter what public opinion was, no matter the oppression or persecution, they were convicted they were going to stand upon the word of God, even if it meant death. And this is what God is calling the Israelites to do as they step out on the promise. This is what he's calling us to do as we step out in the promise of God for our lives, is that we are not to turn from the right hand or to the left. We're to remain on a straight path. And in doing so, God promises when we keep to the word of God, when we guard it and observe it, that we will have success wherever we go. Wow. 
Be very, very careful because people use that verse for their prosperity gospel too. That's not what it means. I have success because I begin seeing things the way God intended them to be seen. I begin giving value to things the way they should receive value. I begin trusting things the way they should be trusted. It changes my perspective. The psalmist understood this when he wrote in Psalm 119, 105, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. There's three things I want us to take away this morning when it comes to the word of God. Number one, only the word of God has the power to lead us in the right direction. Only the word of God has the power to lead you in the right direction. And here's the temptation for adults, students, kids, is we begin turning to peers. And I'm glad I'm not a teenager today. I, the first cell phone I had, man, I was 19, and it, it was, I, Richard has a more developed phone than I had then, because it was just like a little box, about, it was about that thick, it was about the size of the original Game Boy. It didn't have apps on it. It didn't receive texts. Facebook wasn't even known at the time. Twitter, Instagram, all that wonderful things. Our youth and our adults are under attack because what we do is we turn to Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever social media account you use, because those are probably outdated because I'm old now. And we find our value in if people liked us, loved us, commented in a good way. And so then when we did a bad comment, we begin to belittle our worth. And we begin to trust in this little social media app more than we trust in the Word of God. And we allow our peers and our friends and what they think about us to begin to guide us in directions and decisions that we make. This was my problem when I was uh, 17 years old. I wanted to be accepted by my friends. I, I wanted to go to the cool things that everyone was talking about on Monday morning. And so I began to allow that to guide me and lead me, and it led me to, to doing things that I knew I shouldn't be doing. It led me to getting into mistakes and situations that I regret to this day. But we're all under that attack. As soon as we leave this place, and even in this place right now, you are under the attack that what is going to guide and lead you? It is only the Word of God that is going to take you to the right direction. It is only the Word of God. And anything else we place our trust in is going to lead in, in, in being in the wrong spot, the wrong place, the wrong time, and regret. Number two, only the Word of God has the power to transform us or change us. As God spoke over the fears of Israel and their uncertainty and their doubts and lack of faith, He did it through His Word. And it was through his word that he pointed to his continual presence. No matter what situation arose, they had his presence upon them and they had his word to continually turn to. The final thing is only the word of God has the power to prepare us for the future. And this is what God is, is doing for the Israelites here in this moment. He's preparing them for the road ahead. It was not going to be easy. It was not going to be something they're just going to walk in. It was going to be tough. It was going to challenge what they believe. It was going to challenge uh, what they were wanting to put their convictions in. But God was wanting to take them to the future, and it was only through His Word that they were going to get there. 
The Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 29, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you hope in the future. God's desire is for us to trust in Him. These promises He speaks over Joshua and Israel and the promises He speaks over us isn't found in material things. It isn't found in a higher paying job. It isn't found in a raise. It isn't found in another title. It isn't found in our friends or peers. It isn't even found in our marriage or a relationship. It isn't found in our kids. It isn't found through social networking. The only place that we can find our true worth and true values through the Word of God. The psalmist understood this when he wrote in Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. That's what God wants for our life. So it begins with a conviction. And like I said, it's a battle of trust. What are you going to trust? You may be here this morning and realizing that you've been placing your trust in other things. Your trust in how people perceive you. Your trust in the amount of your salary or the title you have at your job. The trust in your marriage. It's when we turn our trust to the wrong things, we're always going to have a feeling of incompleteness. This is what the world is dealing with right now. They're turning to all the wrong places, and so they're unsatisfied. They're incomplete. And God has brought us here this moment to bring us back into perspective. Let's trust in His Word. Jesus promised it will not change or fade until all things have come to pass. That's a pretty big promise. Maybe you're here this morning and you just need to come before God and repent. God, I've been trusting in this more than your word. I've been leaning on this more than your word. I've been seeking after this more than your word. Maybe that's why you're feeling, hmm, right now. But perhaps you're here this morning and one thing you need to know is the initial promise of God is that God created you for a relationship with him. God created you for a relationship with Him. That's why you're here. That's why you're made in His image and His likeness. The issue we all have is we have sin in our life. That sin is what causes us to seek after things to find fulfillment and satisfaction. And so we we try to do all the good things. We try to be nice to people. But the Bible reveals I can be a good person and still die in my sins and be separated from God. So God, because He is a good Father, and because He loves us, He sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. And He died, and they placed Him in a tomb, but He rose three days later that we could be completely forgiven. And the Bible says, when I place my trust in that, in God's love for me, in God's sacrifice for me, in God's power for me, and promise for me, I will be saved. And that leads me on the place into where God is wanting to take me in His promise. If you're here this morning, if you have to say Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, I'm going to be down here. I'm going to invite you to come. You say, Pastor Mike, I, w- I want to be saved. I want to be a child of God. I want to be in the promise of God. But maybe here this morning, God has revealed, you know, I've been placing my trust in all these other things, and the one or some things just don't feel right. And that needs to change. And you just need to come kneel before the Father and say, God, forgive me. 
forgiving. Help me. Give me the strength to trust in your word. I'm going to ask Jackson to come and lead us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. No, I think for this week that you've been drawing my attention back to you. Back to your word and the power and the authority of it. And I pray in this moment, Lord, that your spirit would just come upon us, Lord, that we would be a people who are trusting you. They're carefully observing and guarding your word in our life. Knowing that you care about every detail of it, even the most mundane things, Lord. And you want that to be guarded by your word. Thank you that we mean that much to you. The psalmist declared, who are we that you're mindful of us, Lord? You've given us this incredible gift of your word, incredible gift of your spirit to give us understanding of your word. Father, forgive us as a people when we have not been clinging to it and being convicted by it. and We've been allowing the world to change our view of it and our definition of what you've already spoken. I thank you for this day. Lord, as we come to this time response, I pray for those who need to accept you as your Lord and Savior that you would just give them clarity on that. I pray for those here this morning that know they've been trusting in other things other than your word and that needs to change. Lord, we thank you because you are a good Father. You are merciful. You are faithful. And you bring us this moment not just to be hearers of your words but doer, doers. So let us let what happens here in the next moment be pleasing to you. Praise all in Jesus' name. Amen. Invite you to stand as we sing. We need to come and invite you to come.